Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, also, um, you didn't really name the turtle Shelly, did you? Welcome one, welcome all to episode 65 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, January 10th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we sit down with voice actor Shelby Young about her time in the gaming industry and beyond it, as she portrays main characters, supporting roles, and does ADR work. AA batteries have become a talking point in the past week for the Xbox gaming space, and Gotham Knights will feature a redesigned Gotham City thanks to a new co-op style of combat. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I want to start off this episode by talking about people who have made my gaming week better. And this week, I want to offer words of thanks to anyone and everyone in my social media timelines who took the time away from gaming and used their voices well to call out the terrorists that were descending upon the United States Capitol uh, and really taking a break from gaming. I saw brands take a break from discussing gaming. I saw content creators stop discussing gaming. I saw gaming companies stop talking about gaming to call out the hate groups that were descending upon the Capitol to point out the responsibility and required responsibility that anyone with a voice has to condemn hate, condemn those who would not uh, use their, their political powers for equality. And it has been a very tumultuous time these last few years in the United States as hateful rhetoric has been enhanced and and really given a new light and seeing the voices that were on my social media feed combating that and working against that uh, offered me just a little bit of hope and hope that maybe wasn't there a few months ago. And I'm very appreciative of that. And make no mistake, if you are listening to XCP and you support those hate groups that have been enabled by Donald Trump and those that follow him, then you have no place here on XEP if you do not believe in offering a voice to marginalized voices, if you don't believe in equality or diversity, you have no place here listening to XEP, and you're dismissed. You do not need to to, uh, announce your departure. Go away. You are not wanted. Uh, It is very important that we consistently celebrate equality, diversity, and make sure that gaming is a space for everyone that would allow gaming to be there with anyone. And that's just how it simply needs to be. And so I wanted to say those words early on. I've said them before. I want to say them again and double down on it. Before we jump into this episode with the amazing Shelby Young and discussing the the XEP uh, news of the week, which is very, very slim pickings, I do want to let you know that we are on YouTube now. If you search XEP, or I'm sorry, if you search the Xbox Expansion Pass on YouTube, you can find this episode and the all the episodes from 2021. They've started curating there, very low maintenance way for me, but we're climbing up towards 100 followers over on YouTube and 
to me, that's great because this is that's not the main platform for podcast delivery. So I was really excited to see that people are jumping on board. Thank you so much if you have already. And if you've not, maybe consider uh, subscribing to the Xbox Expansion Pass over on YouTube. Alrighty, guys, let's now jump into the news of the week. We've heard very little in the way of gaming news because of the political strife that was going on. However, AA batteries became a talking point, and we got some news on Gotham Knights. And I'd like to start with Gotham Knights. That, of course, is one of my most anticipated games. Uh, I think Halo Infinite kind of wins that category of most anticipated right now, but Gotham Knights is surely close behind. I hope we see that game sooner rather than later, provided it is content complete uh, and bug free and enjoyable I suppose that said we heard statements from uh, the producer Fleur Marty I'm afraid I don't know how to pronounce his name properly but he was speaking to games radar and he discussed that the entire combat system for Gotham Knights had to be redesigned away from its traditional Arkham style combat to account for the fact that the majority of the game is capable of being played in co-op and as you have a a co-op set of combat going forth you have certain camera angles that you need certain moves that need to be seen shown and the older Arkham style uh, Gotham City was simply too claustrophobic for it. So that means we're going to see an entirely new Gotham City. And that makes sense given that this is a new universe. It is separate from the Arkhamverse. And I, I like hearing that. It does encourage me. It also worries me a little bit because I'm so fond of that Arkham style combat. And we've seen iterations and variations of it. Darksiders had a variation of it ever so slightly. We saw Spider-Man PS4 and PS5 have variations of that combat. And provided the spirit of that combat style is maintained, then I'm I'm going to be very, very happy. Mind you, I've not gone hands-on with it, and nobody that I know has. So, you know, maybe this entirely this is an entirely new thing, and it will feel different. But the, the director did allude to the fact that it will be you know, comfortable for, for Arkham players, but that it is a different place altogether. And it does make sense. You know, when I think about that Arkham-style Gotham City, it was a bit claustrophobic in some places, alleyways and staircases and, and rooftops that were not large. And because they were not large, I doubt you could see Robin and Nightwing or Batgirl and Red Hood battling it out against enemies without bumping into each other and getting in each other's way. Some of my favorite you know, side missions in in Arkham Knight and some of the DLCs were when you could do do team ups with Nightwing and Batman, and that was really really cool to watch them team combat against uh, different different types of enemies. And I liked that, and I think that is what we're going to see more of in Gotham Knights. But to know that the combat's getting a redesign is exciting because you want refreshed refreshed ideas and new new concepts. At the same time, it's like, oh, please don't go too far away from that combat style that I really love. Uh, and we've seen iterations. Like I do, I do want to acknowledge we've seen that continuously be refined. From you know, you had what was it Arkham Arkham Asylum, then Arkham City, then Arkham Origins, and then we made it all the way to Arkham Knight. And there were subtle differences from each one as you went on. But uh, yeah, bottom line, man, Gotham Knights. That teaser we saw, the, the gameplay we saw a while back looked great. I'm a huge Batman fan, so much so that you know I, I love playing as Batman in Fortnite. I'm always reading the comic books. I need a new tablet just so I can read more Batman comic books. I'm stoked for 
seeing Ben Affleck's Batman be realized in, in the Justice League remake. I'm excited for the new Robert Pattinson Batman. We got news of Michael Keaton perhaps re- returning to the DCEU in a more permanent capacity than we previously thought. So we may even down the line get a Batman Beyond. I'm the I'm the guy that wants to see Ben Affleck continue the Snyderverse Batman, see Michael Keaton continue and help create Batman Beyond, and have Robert Pattinson making that grounded real world. Uh, esque type Batman for Matt Reeves. I want it all. I just love that character. I love the versatility that the universe offers, and I want to see them all coexisting. I mean, why not? We've had multiple Supermen for a few years. We had, you know, Henry Cavill and um, the the gentleman Tyler Hoechlin. I always mess his last name up, and it embarrasses me whenever I do. But from the CW universe, we had two Flashes. Like I, I think it's great to have multiple variations and versions of a character because. Everybody deserves to see themselves in their hero, and some people absolutely loved, you know, Grant, uh, the, the Flash CW show. Other people liked the ideas that maybe Ezra, Ezra Miller's would have brought forth, uh, and then the comic version is very different from that, also. So yeah, I, I love seeing superheroes get re- redesigned and, and taken into do new directions and new universes, and I love seeing different takes on them. And uh, here's hoping we see something from Gotham Knights soon, and uh, frankly, I'd love to see more Batman games popping up, more superhero games popping up. How would somebody tackle a Superman game? How would they tackle Black Panther? How would we tackle Wolverine now? Because Wolverine Origins was really good back on the Xbox 360. You know, how would we tackle some of these heroes? I want to see that. So, you know, let me know what game for superheroes within that genre you would like to see what what is it that what one hero do you think needs another time to shine or a new spotlight avengers fell flat spider-man and miles morales are great gotham knights looks great arkham knight was awesome like where do we want to see next Because the gaming news was so dry in this past week, one of the conversation points that kept making its way around the Xbox gaming space was that of AA batteries and whether or not Microsoft had a particular deal with Duracell that meant the Xbox Series S and X controllers could not have a rechargeable battery pack built into the controller. And then that that led to conversations of whether or not you like having AA batteries in your controllers or detachable batteries or rechargeable or or, or whatever the variations that were therein. And this came from a report and interview from what I was able to track down with a website called Stealth Optional, in which uh, a gentleman working for Duracell's UK marketing team named Luke Anderson said that there was a partnership between Xbox and Duracell, and it was a constant agreement that they had in place. And this led to more execs and PR people weighing in on this long-term deal between Microsoft, specifically Xbox, and Duracell. And that's uh, a deal that's been longstanding, seeing Xbox controllers in uh, Duracell commercials, seeing uh, the Duracell batteries be packed in with Xbox controllers you know, all over the world. It, it makes sense, but it is interesting to think that a deal has locked out technology options for a controller. And as to whether or not that's true, it's still a bit muddled that as to whether or not that's clearly the reason that in 2020 and 2021 we don't have just a strictly rechargeable battery similar to the PlayStation 4 and 5. I I chuckle at this argument because people have often asked me, you know, like do you prefer the batteries, do you not? And many times we default to 
agreeing that at least we have the option and having options is a good thing. Frankly, I am not in that camp. I would much prefer that it be a rechargeable battery built into the controller uh, so that there was no question as to what was going on. The idea that AA batteries uh, don't have a drain on them like rechargeable battery packs is true, and I do recognize that. However, batteries like AA's, AAA's, C's, D's, etc., those are really bad for the environment, and I would like us to keep moving away from it. That said, lithium-ion batteries are also really bad for the environment, and so that kind of makes me uh, cringe a bit too when I think about how that goes. But when it comes to strictly gameplay, I like the idea that I can just plug my controller up and it's good to go, or I can just rest it on a rechargeable spot and it's good to go that way. Uh, kind of the chemical interaction, I don't really care about it. I don't ever want to be playing a game where my batteries die and have to get up and run around the house trying to find a set of double A's somewhere somehow right then and there. It's not really my jam. I use an Elite 2 controller uh, quite often. That's kind of my main controller, and that one is one that you can recharge easily. It's got a built-in rechargeable pack. And I have the Sonic Blue controller. It's not called Sonic Blue, but it looks Sonic Blue that I bought at one of those battery packs for the Xbox Series S and X uh, that I just now use for that. So my controllers are rechargeable, but I, and, and I don't think I've used double A's uh, except in an emergency situation with a third controller at, at various points. And I don't think I use double A's ever except for in, in a TV remote. You know, like that's, that's kind of a, a strange thing now that I think about it. Whereas I grew up on batteries, everything. I remember my Sega Nomad just destroying batteries. I remember my, my Game Boy would last forever, uh, except in the car. It would always die in the car because you had to have like 48 attachments to your Game Boy, particularly at night. Uh, and, you know, these young kids these days, they don't understand what, what, what it was like to live without a backlit screen or to, if you had a backlit screen uh, system like a Game Gear or Nomad, you had to be next to an outlet and just use the plug-in. And that was how that worked. It, it's funny. It's funny how technology changes us now. I'm, I don't even have a cord to plug up my phone. I just lay it on, it, on the charge pad next to my bed uh, in the evening, and that's how I charge my phone. It's just interesting to think how we, how we work on this one. And all of these debates and all these thoughts came to my mind because of a report out of a website about Duracell and Xbox having a long-standing agreement. I don't, it's, it's a funny one. It's funny. Uh, let me know what you think, though. Do you like having AA batteries in your controller? Is it something that's uh, valuable to you? Would you rather they all be rechargeable? I mean, certainly a number of conversations were making the rounds as far as the DualSense 5 and some of its features and whether or not Xbox should adopt those. I didn't really care. I didn't really fall into the category that said they had to do it, particularly because they're working in the you know X Cloud space where they're trying to be on as many screens as possible, and that might be a thing that's very difficult to put into a Razor controller attachment for your phone, or having unique types of controllers for different you know TVs that are coming out down the line. Uh, I, I didn't really feel the need for a redesign, but I really like the DualSense four, five DualSense. It's just a DualSense, whatever. Uh, names are dumb. Goodness. Um, you know, all, all these, these talks about charging and, and controllers and what's good, what's bad. Uh, in a dry week of games, it, it was kind of fun to have something as silly as that be something that we, we cared about and worried about. So let me know what you think. Insipid Ghost on Twitter.
Let's move into listener mail now. Of course, we do have that interview with Shelby Young about her voiceover career, her main acting career. She was an actress in uh, American Horror Story and several other live action things that you might be familiar with. But then she made her switch over into commercials as a young child. And then she ended up in video games, Dead Rising, Wolfenstein, Battlefield, Call of Duty, etc. Just an incredible voice. She even voices Princess Leia on an old uh, a Star Wars show or she did for several years and that's kind of cool because she sounds like Carrie Fisher uh, or when she wants to it's it's really neat to hear talented talented actors uh, do things she was such a, a, a great interview but I thought we would get into some listener mail prior to that interview and several of you wrote in with I think some fun questions that are appropriate for a week like the one we had uh, let's go first with my friend Clint Coombs, who asks, what game from past generations would you like to see remade, no matter how obscure? Let's hear it. And I had a lot of thoughts on this one that took me down a really wonderful nostalgic trip, and I thought back to a lot of my Dreamcast games. I loved the Dreamcast. There was something about that system that I thought was really special, and high school me bought my Dreamcast from a a senior when I was a freshman, and he had spindles full of games. In hindsight, I only now realize how wrong it was that he had spindles full of burned games, but, you know, freshman, freshman Luke thought that was incredible. And I played quite seriously, hundreds of different Dreamcast games, uh, American, Japanese, what have you, on the Dreamcast. And I thought back to a number of those very obscure games that would be incredibly ripe uh, for a remake of some kind. And uh, I thought about San Francisco Rush 2049, which was at its best over on the Dreamcast. The same with Marvel vs. Capcom 2 and Sonic Adventure 2. Those were really fun games that I would love to see new takes on, but also more obscure ones like Mad Dog and Starland. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Star Lancer, but that was a, a first-person Starfighter game where you, you had a really intricate storyline, and it was kind of like first-person Colony Wars, or uh, probably the most recent example might be like Everspace, or uh, not Eve. Oh, what's the one that's not Eve? But it's like Everspace, and it's out there. I don't know. Um, it, it would be really cool to see Star Lancer be remade. Uh, I think about... Uh, other games over on the GameCube side, Rogue Leader and Rebel Strike would have been really cool games to see remade. That's just because I'm desperate for a new Rogue Squadron-style game, and I talk about that often. Uh, Resident Evil 4 would be another great example. We're out of Dreamcast here, but um, you know, Resident Evil 4 is a game that it's so amazing in its time, but doesn't age well. There are mechanics. There's inventory issues. There's the very, very long, dragged-out castle scenes. Uh, that could be cleaned up just a bit. But I would love to see Resident Evil 4 get the treatment that Resident Evil 7 had, where they changed up everything, had a new engine. Uh, When I think about Resident Evil's 2 and 3 remake, 2 got a lot of love, 3 felt rushed. I want to make sure that Resident Evil 4 gets a lot of love in its remake. I would love to see that that an open-world version of that, that village and watch how that works and operates. That would just be a wonderful game that's that's ripe for remake and then there are other games that maybe weren't that great back in their time but i'd love to see a second shot at that obi-wan game for the original xbox i never got to play that i would love to see in uh, a, a way to play that game old school style but then also see a remake of it because i mean we've got the new show for obi-wan coming out why not you know like hey we're, we're having fun here that'd be a good time but there's there's so many so many games that I would just love to have newer versions of. One of my favorite PS1 games 
uh, is a game called Future Cop LAPD. And I don't think it's the right time at all to be to be remaking a game about law enforcement for sure. But I really loved that video game and they had a, a tower defense mode that was entirely separate from its campaign. And, and I would play that for hours on max difficulty because I'd learned the patterns and I just had a blast with that one. I mean, that's an obscure title for sure, but I loved it. There was another obscure PS1 game that I played on the, the demo discs called Unholy War. And it was like an arena combat game. I, I loved that one. That's, that's talking about random obscure games. Uh, for sure, but man, oh, now I'm thinking about demo discs. Clint, you got me down this serious nostalgic trip here, talking about past generations, man. Oh man, what what a great time. The the 3D era could use a lot of remakes. There, no doubt about it, because there were some great games and great experiences that we had in PS1, PS2, Nintendo 64, Dreamcast time, where the game just doesn't age well right? But the ideas are there, and the gameplay was fun at different points, and I would love to see that. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, Star Fox, I would love to see that come back, and yeah, there's definitely some some love that needs to happen to those PS1, 2, and, and whatnot, 3D era games, for sure. Great question, Clint. This next question comes from my friend Edward Varnell, who usually writes in with some sort of crazy Nintendo-related question that I have to try to dance around and figure out an answer to. But this week, he he served me a softball that I'm able to tackle with ease, and it's a great question and a simple one. How do companies repair relationships when bad decisions were made in the past? Does it take new management or opportunities? I love this question, Edward, because I think a lot about the Xbox brand and how they've repaired their relationship over the past generation because they certainly started off the Xbox One era terribly. They came off a very high Xbox 360 uh, beginning where they were they really owned first-person shooters and serious third-person games, and, and the Xbox 360 was the place for Mass Effect, and people were playing Red Dead there and taking, taking advantage of Dead Rising, and then they had, of course, all those first-person experiences. Call of Duty was an Xbox 360 game, even though it was on the PS3. It was a 360 vibe, right? But by the end of the 360, we had Connect, and we had kid games, and we had Connect Adventures, and it just didn't feel like the same company. And that Don Matrick era started awfully bad, awfully bad with the Xbox One, TV, 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 you know, discussions with the NFL, uh, and everything but video games, leading to an overpriced system uh, that couldn't even render in, in proper power. It was it was rough, and. They had to get rid of Don Matrick, have new management come in. We often uh, equate and, and uh, make a magician out of Phil Spencer for this, but it's really the, the eras that we're referring to. The Spencer era meant that new leadership was coming into multiple places and putting people in the right spaces and letting Xbox sidle up right next to Satya Nadella, the leader of Microsoft and the, the guy in charge of money for Microsoft. And then from there, new decisions being made, redesigned hardware. Uh, further dedication to putting out games that people want. And I would say they really missed the mark on a lot of the heavy hitters in the Xbox One generation, with the exception of Forza and Gears. And even then, I think people are are waning on Gears. That's a common thread and discussion point here on XEP, despite my love for it. For some reason, Gears doesn't have the same, uh, same panache that it once had. And so... When it comes to Xbox and what companies in general need to do, they need to own their mistakes. They need to address them head on, call them out in interviews, say, hey, we didn't do this well. And then here's what we're doing to fix it. 
Microsoft is well aware they had a hardware problem, so they redesigned it, the Xbox One S, One X, and then now we have two versions of their next-gen console. They need to discuss other things that, that weren't good enough. Microsoft knew they wanted to get to more screens, and they certainly were not landing as the winner of the console wars. So they created xCloud to get to more screens, outside of just the console space. They discussed what, what exclusives meant, because there was a lot of muddled representation for what exclusive meant on Xbox whenever all of your games come to PC. They talked about different business acumens, like cross-buy, cross-play, uh, the, the ability to have cross-saves in different places, and then, of course, when it talked about their gaming catalog. They tried to own that mistake. They knew they weren't producing, so they've doubled down on bringing studios in to make single-player games, multiplayer games that are specific to their brand and people will think of as synonymous with Xbox. So, Edward, I think, you know, the big thing is addressing your problems head-on, owning those mistakes, and being clear with your messaging. Whenever we saw Microsoft have a faux pas in 2020, it came down to messaging because they'd been pretty much nailing next-gen communication up until, I think it was Aaron Greenberg, uh, setting poor expectations for an inside Xbox and then a few other verbal faux pas as well. When expectations are appropriately set, the expectations will not be let down as much. So, uh, yeah, that's how I think companies should repair relationships with their consumers. Uh, And then also, when it comes to their business partners, they need to let those business partners do what they want to do in terms of studios and then be clear with what they want out of their business partner in terms of publishing. And uh, all intents and purposes, it seems like Xbox is on the right path there. The data we have thus far is that they are letting uh, their partners do what they want to do, work well, and they're doing their best by gamers also. So uh, here's hoping that we don't need to talk about companies repairing relationships much more in the years to come. But if they do, they own those mistakes, address them head on, and they are very clear in their messaging going forward. The last question this week comes from my buddy, Mr. Famous Seamus. He says, So I just beat Hades for the first time, and it felt good. What games gave you a satisfying feeling of accomplishment once you beat it? That's a fun one. This is another nostalgic trip, similar to Clint's question, Famous Seamus. I think back, I have very fond memories of rolling credits in Metal Gear Solid 1. Because that was the first true story game that I think I beat. You know, I mean, we, we, you can beat games, but an arcade experience is very different than uh, a story experience. And I remember staying up very late, beating Metal Gear Solid, and hearing the very long, very moving speeches that the characters would make as it went. Hearing the music, and young Luke trying to process what those meant. And I had a sincere sense of accomplishment when I got the ribbon at the end of Metal Gear Solid. Um, the same feeling with Metal Gear Solid 2, though I was still a little bit confused. Um, let's see, feeling of accomplishment. Halos 4 and 5, beating those on Solo Legendary, like Lone Wolfing it, both of those were really great, powerful experiences for me to finish because they were so challenging, and I was just so proud that I'd beaten them. Uh, more recently, or in The Will of the Wisps, beating that uh, game was emotionally charged because of its storyline, but also just it's a difficult game, and I was very proud to have have beaten it there, uh, and and I think really when I when I play a game, I, I roll credits fairly often because I now in my current form I like to play them on easy or normal. I don't ever really bump the difficulty up. 
uh, I think God of War, beating God of War was was great. I had a gr- wonderful feeling when I beat God of War. But uh, beyond that, no, nothing else stands out past that. Uh, in general, I, I like to play games on an easier mode and just have an easier time with them. But great question, man. That's a fun one. I like it. I like it. Alrighty, guys, before I roll you out over to Miss Shelby Young, I want to remind you to check out XEP over on YouTube. You search the Xbox Expansion Pass and it will show up. I'd love to see those subscribers rise there. Feel free to share this episode uh, over in your social media space. That helps me grow the show, and I do appreciate it. Uh, And keep an eye on my social media this next week because I have another Game Pass for PC code donated by my buddy James Suddy to uh, divvy out as well. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the interview with Shelby Young. Take care. All righty. We are very fortunate now to be joined by Shelby Young, actor and voice actor for a number of different video games and shows. Shelby Young, how are you today? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I am ecstatic to have you on. I'm excited to talk about uh, your background in voice acting, the different roles that you've taken, and the industry in general. Can you tell me uh, when it was that you knew you wanted to be an actor and when, like, how long you've been training for that prior to starting your career? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I fell into it in a way. Um, I started acting as a kid. I'm, I'm one of those child actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I don't remember this because I was so young. I was like three or so, but there was an ad in the local paper. I'm from Florida originally, Boca Raton, and there was a beauty pageant coming to town, I guess. And my mom was like, let's do it for fun. She put me in it uh, thinking it would be like a one afternoon we were killing. But then I guess I ended up placing. So that meant I had to go compete in the next one. Um, I really, if you can't tell, don't know how beauty pageants work, Um, (laughs) but it continued for a bit. And then, Toward the end of this little stint of beauty pageants, the judges happened to be uh, modeling and commercial agents in Florida. So they wanted to sign me after that. And uh, I think it was a a bit longer. My mom had us wait because I was still just so young. But when I was about almost five is when I feel like I I started with commercials and modeling. um, And it kind of snowballed from there. I wanted to, I do remember saying this, or maybe I've been told the story so many times, that's why I remember it, but I guess I complained on a commercial set to my mom that I wanted to talk more, and I was tired of just having to sit there and smile, and I wanted to have lines, so Mm -hmm. we started, I guess, looking for ways to uh, break into film and television was kind of the thought. I was also really interested in theater when I was younger, so, sorry, my cat is knocking things off. No, Simba, no. Um, animals, gotta love them. Uh, and, uh, well, animals on podcast is par for the course in 2020 and now 2021, so right? feel that not. <laughs> no, it's so funny. As soon as she hears me talking to someone else is when she needs all the attention. When I'm just sitting here doing nothing, she doesn't need anything from me. But anyway, long story short, that moved into then I started focusing on theater and film and television. We ended up making the move to New York. Um, going back and forth between New York and Florida wasn't too hard of a trip. And then while I was out there, I guess for a while, really focused on theater, I just started finding a bit more success when it came to like independent films and some episodic stuff. So my agents were telling my mom and I, we should go out to California and I'm really glad we listened. So I moved out to, to LA when I was just about 13 and I've been out here since just building my career. 
And that career spans uh, live action acting, voice acting, voice acting in video games. I mean, gamers would know you from Dead Rising and Battlefield and Wolfenstein. And then uh, depending on how old the kiddos are, if they have children themselves, they've seen you in different Star Wars roles. Uh, that has to be a, a thrilling thing to span so many genres uh, within your own within your own field. It really is. I, I, I really enjoy getting to kind of test the waters in so many different genres and finding like, oh, I really love doing that or, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> Those sort of projects and moments. But I, I really have found myself in love with voiceover about, so I, I, I did a little bit of voiceover when I was in New York as a kid. Um, I did a bunch of the silly rabbit tricks are for kids commercials back in the day. And. So cool. Uh, yeah, it was, which didn't even hit me how cool that was at the time. But now I am like, I can't believe I got to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had a little bit of a VO experience, but it was Dead Rising 3 that you mentioned that really broke me into voiceover. It, I, I was so focused on film and television. And from that bit of voiceover I had done as a kid, I was so mistaken. And, and to me, it was like, well, being on camera is the end all be all and voiceover is a side gig and like how wrong I was. I can't even tell you. I, I, after doing, uh, Dead Rising 3 and seeing, like, that was one of the jobs I felt like I, I got to act the most. And it wasn't just voiceover, it was motion capture as well. But it really, like, opened my eyes to what I, what I really wanted to do, which is voiceover and, and motion capture. So, uh, I bugged my on-camera reps to help me find, uh, voiceover agents for a while. It took a couple years, even after Dead Rising 3. And then I happily signed with my agents about, I think it's been about five years now. Um, but then just a few years ago, I decided I wanted to really focus on on voiceover and, and motion capture. So I've kind of, I don't want to say stopped, but I've taken a bit of a break from from putting a lot of my focus into the on-camera world right now. Not to say mm-hmm. if an opportunity arose, I wouldn't jump at it, but mm-hmm. it's just not my main focus at the moment. So voiceover and motion capture is like my my love. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> That's so interesting. Is the is the mentality, I guess, when you're at home and looking at scripts or potential jobs or anything like that, is it different knowing that you'll be doing voiceover versus uh, live action in terms of preparation or whatnot? Yes and no. So when it comes to just if we're talking voiceover only, not motion capture, you don't need to be memorized. So that's the big thing when you're working on camera. Of course, you need to be off book and memorized. And even for my auditions, I would always try to be as off book as possible. That's just slang for memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, just so they could, the casting team could see my eyes and my expressions and my face. Whereas that doesn't really matter when it comes to voiceover in the fact that they're not going to see that. But it does matter. Like you should still be expressing whatever your emotions are because that's the only way you're going to get it to sound like you are. You can't fake a smile without having an actual smile on your face for that sound to come through in your voice. Mm -hmm. So just the memorization is kind of what's different. Of course, genres and, and types of projects are different too. Like, if I'm auditioning for a, a preschool children's cartoon, it's going to be way different than if I was doing American Horror Story. But then same within the voiceover world, it would be way different than if I was doing a Battlefield audition or whatever. So it just it comes down to the genre and the type of project and what they're looking for within it, if they want overly animated or if they're looking for a more grounded performance. 
is there – so this is how little I understand motion capture because I've seen, of course, plenty of videos where they have uh, the different types of dots all over their body. Is there a body prep that is different in, in terms of different roles from, from doing some of the live-action stuff you did to, you know, say Dead Rising where you were mo-capped? Yes, sort of. So, okay, so the tracking dots, yes, that's what's on your suit, and then they put the tracking dots on your face as well, and then you wear – I call it headgear, but you're wearing a camera that's, like, right in your face. Um, and every morning before we would start filming, uh, we would do a ROM, which is basically we would move every single joint and, and squat in different ways. And that's just to make sure that our movements are being picked up and all the tracking dots are in the correct places. The markers is what they're also called. Um, so that's very different than being on a set. You don't have to do those sort of, it, it, it was honestly, it's so fun because it's just like a little warm up. You get, you crack your back while you're doing it. Um, <laughs> but so that's definitely different. Uh, the other difference, a major difference to me between motion capture and on camera and something I love about motion capture is because the camera is on you. There are different cameras kind of filming, uh, the, the full scene as well. But you have so much freedom to move because you're not worrying about where the light is hitting your face and and all of that because they'll 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 animate that in they'll code that into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that freedom is nice. Motion capture, when I try to explain it to people, is truly a mix of on camera theater and voiceover. It's all of the above. You're using your imagination so much. You're in a, a big gray room, the volume they call it, and you are just playing pretend and there are some things that are built, but it's built out of like piping and, and wooden planks. And you're imagining like, Oh, I remember with dead rising three, it's like, okay, this is an arcade game. So you're standing at this, this plank of wood that's kind of really well shaped like an arcade game, but there no, there's nothing on there to really do. You're using mm-hmm. your imagination. You do have to be like fully memorized throughout scenes. Like a lot of the times when it comes to on camera, you film your coverage, so you know you need to have these specific this part of the scene memorized for that time, and then you might have time later to work on this. When it comes to mocap, because there isn't coverage, it's all being filmed at once, you need to know sometimes five pages of dialogue with movement and actions within it, and if that gets flubbed, you have to stop and start the whole scene. So you're also really relying on your other actors to be prepared, too. Um, I I love mocap so much. <laughs> Did it well? So, so you had again. You said you were you started in childhood. Fans have seen you in, in the Social Network, American Horror Story, and then you go to this Dead Rising role. Do you are you surprised by how similar and different it is? Yes and no. I I I was surprised at how free I felt. Um, just like I was saying, not because ha- coming from the on-camera world where you do have, and, and not to say you don't have marks and, and there aren't, like, you you work out the movements you're going to do ahead of time. You can't just be flailing around out of nowhere. So there is still, like, order to what you're doing. But it was just so much more free than on a film set where, again, you have to worry about, is my makeup messed up? Is my hair okay? Uh, am I in my lights? Uh, am I blocking the other actor from the camera? I can't move my head over here. So you're thinking of all that while also trying to be in the moment and act. And for some on-camera projects, they're more lenient than others. But a lot of the studio stuff I was doing, it was very exact. Um, so going from that to mocap, I, it was just a different world. It's not that one is better or worse or anything like that, but it's just I felt like I was using different parts of my brain uh, in, in some aspects, which was really interesting. 
That sounds really interesting. And and from Dead Rising, uh, in the video game space, did you said you sort of sought more VO roles from there. Was there anything specific that you told your agents to look for that you were seeking in general? Not really. So my agents at the time didn't really work in voiceover. And it was sort of, I don't want to say a fluke, but it kind of was a fluke that I got this audition. But with Dead Rising, they were specifically looking for on-camera actors uh, for these roles, they wanted really grounded, like movie esque performances. So they, op- I'm sure they looked at a lot of uh, uh, different avenues, but they decided to go look through rosters of agencies that had just on camera talent. Um, so that's how that came about. I did get every now and then a couple different things through my my on camera people that was related to voiceover, but it was usually really high profile stuff that, for the most part celebrities ended up voicing so it was fun to audition when I would but it was kind of in the back of my mind of like I don't think I'm going to book this and then you would see who booked it and it's like yeah I, I see why um but is that a I, common thing with, with what well I, I apologize for interrupting but it, oh, it's so fine. as you describe that you know auditioning for a certain role but almost expecting or not being surprised that it goes to uh some major celebrity is that something that's common it depends on the program. Honestly, it's not that common within VO in general, but there are certain companies or certain projects that if you look at their past work, it's usually celebrity voices that they use, at least for the titular characters. And I didn't know enough about voiceover at that time. So in my mind, it was like, well, this is going to Tom Cruise and it's going to be all celebrity voices. But I didn't know, which I know now, no, they might be they might cast celebrities for the main three roles, but they are going to need to fill out all of these other characters with true character voice actors who can do crazy sounds and voices that some on-camera actors aren't trained to do, which at that time I wasn't. So I didn't know the the ins and outs of the world. So I I learned so much more as soon as I really got into the voiceover world. Once I, I, I signed with my agents, I threw myself into taking classes and just researching and watching. I mean, I've always loved watching cartoons, but now I get to call it homework. So watching so many cartoons, watching the cutscenes of games I didn't play, but I also do play some games. So playing games that I might not have played before because I want to learn about that world. So I just, I really, I really threw myself into the studying and the work of it. And I learned so much. And even though it is all acting, like that, that's a common misconception too. I get a lot of, so I do uh TikTok and I, on there, I do a lot of impressions, which is totally just for fun. And it does help with a range and learning different voices. But a lot of people are, uh, confused when it comes to voice acting and think that if you can change your voice, you can be a voice actor. And that's not the case at all. You need to have that acting foundation. You need to know how to act. If you can just do silly voices, that's a fun party trick for friends, but it's not going to get you very far within the industry. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to change your voice and have a range on top of being able to act is amazing. But you don't even need that ability sometimes. There are a lot of actors that their entire career is just their normal speaking voice, and they're just very good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but just learning the slight differences between, like I was saying, with on-camera acting, you can rely on your face. With voiceover acting, you need to use your face still, but to put that whatever that facial expression is into your voice. So that was something new to learn. Does that mean that in some cases you are perhaps overacting in the VO booth so that it comes by in a standard way over the mic? No, I wouldn't say overacting. It's just learning how to make your voice sound like what it's saying. You know, there are some people that... uh 
are more monotone, but I don't mean monotone, monotone in like a negative way, but just more everything they say is pretty basic here and, and, but you see on their face their different emotions, but that wouldn't fly with voiceover unless you're playing a character that's specifically supposed to be like that. Um, but it's just learning how to control your voice to show what you're feeling on your face. And it doesn't, it's not overacted. Some stuff for sure is bigger and broader because that's the style of the show. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just something I've, I've learned how to, how to do over the years. Mm-hmm. Now you touched on this for my next question, but I wonder if you could elaborate a bit more. You finding the right voice for the character, uh, that you're playing in the VO booth, whether it's in a game or a show, you talked about watching cutscenes, perhaps playing games in the genre or the series or, or watching cartoons. How do you find that right voice that you need for any particular role? Yeah, it's a process. I, I always love when we get artwork with our auditions. Um, it's so helpful to see what a character is going to look like because a lot of the times I'll just see a picture of what this character is going to be and instantly a voice comes to mind. Um, but we don't always get character art. So sometimes you're relying on a breakdown and you read through this breakdown of a character and a lot of the times there's some things highlighted about them, their strengths, or maybe they say they're very nerdy or... They're into this specific niche thing or, or whatever it is. And that helps develop the voice. I also go off of just the dialogue itself. I'll read through it and I'll read like what it seems like their speech pattern would be to me, which might make me realize, oh, this girl is very type A. So she's going to hit her, her words a lot harder than if she wasn't type A. Or this one is a little lazier. So I know I'm going to like slow down while I'm talking about her. But like also she's 12. So maybe her voice is a little bit higher, but it's still just slow because she's lazy. And just you find those little things within the, the, the dialogue and the breakdown. Um, and at least for me, that's how I work. And I kind of, I kind of go from there and see what, what fits, what I like. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, that's so much fun to listen to. <laughs> So okay, okay. So you let's let's talk gaming wise. Battlefield, yeah. Wolfenstein, and then Wolfenstein. One of your roles uh, in Wolfenstein Two led to a bigger role in uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood. Tell me, talk to me about your experiences uh, in the Battlefield franchise, and then we'll jump to Wolfenstein. Yeah, of course. Um, so with Battlefield, uh, it was just. In audition, pretty much every role I've gotten, it's a similar story. I auditioned and I was very lucky to book the role. Um, but with Battlefield, uh, the character changed a few times throughout it. When I first auditioned, there was a specific prototype uh, that they did want. Funny that I've mentioned the type A thing. They wanted a very type A student. It was I remember the audition scene was uh, I was in a, a class kind of arguing with my teacher with this really intelligent argument about what he was teaching. So that was the first round. Um, I then got asked to read it again, uh, and I think the dialogue had changed at this point. I'm not sure, but they just wanted my normal voice. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Which sometimes it's funny acting in my normal voice is harder than a character voice because you, I don't know what it is. Like even when I listen to voicemails, uh, I'm like, oh, is that what my voice sounds like? But then as soon as I do a character voice, I don't mind hearing my voice in the project. So mm-hmm. that was, that was funny, but I, I, I did it my regular speaking voice. And then I ended up booking the role, which was awesome. And so we we recorded and then they changed a few things in the story. So we went back in and I worked on it for uh, it was over a, the course of a year. But I'd say I went in about four or five times to record my portion of of uh I think it was called Avanti Savoya was my portion of Battlefield one. 
And that was it. And it was, it was awesome. It was back, back in the old days when we could be around other people. And I was in another, in the actual booth with the person playing my father. And, and, uh, it, it was just, it was really fun. That's also true on that front. I miss those days of seeing people. Yeah. I miss them a lot. I'm an, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> When well, I'm suffering and I'm an introvert, so I'm I'm ready to go see no. people. So you know it's bad. Um, so you say you go back for a, a few kind of you know changes to the script. You go back and record a few times. Does that get frustrating? Exciting? How do you as an actor handle the the, the call that says, "Hey, we need you to come back and do X or Y"? Oh, never frustrating. It's so fun. I love working all the time. I don't even care. I mean, thankfully, this has never happened. But even if they were like, hey, your performance was shit. We need you to come back in. Like, I'd be happy to go back in. Um, No, I love getting to go in. And it was really fun being a part of the whole storytelling process and, like, seeing how it changed. Because it wasn't anything crazy drastic. But just seeing how it went from this beginning idea and then where it ended up, it's so fun to be a part of that journey. So, no, but you always go in. uh, So just to explain with with uh, video games especially, you go in multiple times always. Pretty much for any project, you go in multiple times unless you're a guest star on an episode of something that you can usually knock out in one session. But even then, they might have pickups because there's always, not always, but there can be issues with uh, a mic sound or they decide they want this line to be slightly different. But it's great to get to go back in. Um, And then with video games especially, not with Battlefield because I didn't have any fight sequences, but you have to go in for these long effort sessions when you, especially if you're a player character, but if you're a character that fights at all, you have uh, sometimes days of just grunts and screams and fight sounds because I'm I'm in a union, I'm in SAG-AFTRA, so we have rules on how long a session can be in a day. So mm. for efforts, it's usually just a two-hour session. So that's why it's broken up into different days. And that's to save your voice because I'm actually raspy today because I was recording something last night that was a lot of screaming. And that happens. And thankfully, I had a weekend. I have a weekend to let my voice heal. But if I had another job today, I know my range isn't where it normally is at. And my high voice is not as good as it normally is. So you need to know, A, what your limits are. You also want to make sure you're not hurting yourself, which I did scream a little too much last night. And uh, and, and knowing that you have time to rest, your voice is really important, too. Okay, so before we get to Wolfenstein then, how do you do that self-care for your voice? Is it drinking tea? Is it just being quiet? Are there exercises? Uh, all of the above. It's it's staying hydrated 100%. I mean, tea is great. It doesn't have to be tea, just drinking a lot of water. Um, I do like some teas, though. Uh, avoiding, like, if you know you're going to be doing an effort session, avoiding alcohol before, like, the night before, obviously, obviously before, because usually it's during the day, and if you're <laughs> drinking that, <laughs> that might be another issue. But uh, avoiding alcohol, avoiding any dairy products beforehand. Um, really? But, yeah. Re- what'd you say? I said, really? That just surprised me. Dairy. Huh. Yeah, dairy causes a lot of phlegm. So it's it's not a, a matter of, like, hurting you if you have dairy. It's a matter of your sound is going to just be very phlegmy, <laughs> which is, unless they want that for the character, usually not a great thing. Um, another trick is if you feel like you're getting these, like, mouth sounds, like if your mouth is dry, sometimes water or tea doesn't even help that. But biting into a green apple actually helps with mouth sounds and dry mouth. So that's a fun VO trick. Hmm. Um, that's cool. But yeah, so after the screaming and all that, for sure, resting your voice, um, drinking tea, water, staying hydrated. There are definitely exercises to do before and after 
Um, so yeah, all of the above. Do you, let, let's bring it back to this b- battlefield thing. After you do those roles, same with Dead Rising and Wolfenstein, do you go play as your character or go to the point in the game where you would meet or see your character? Yes. <laughs> totally cool. A hundred percent. I think it's so cool. It's so funny too. And I don't know what the difference is, but whenever I did on camera, I would like, I would watch my stuff, but I would be embarrassed almost to watch myself on screen. Even if it was a performance I was proud of, if I was watching with friends, I would like cover my face and, and for sure be blushing. But when it comes to voiceover, it's just, It's something I think from being a kid and watching cartoons and playing games that I just never thought I would be in that world. Like it wasn't something as a kid I knew I would do. And so it's almost like fulfilling a dream I didn't even know I had because I grew up with like watching Tara Strong be all of these amazing cartoon characters and, and, and Gray, Gray Griffin, Gray Delisle Griffin. And just, I didn't ever think that would be me. So now when I see something that I'm in that's a cartoon or a video game, it just, I get giddy and I'm like, this is just so freaking cool. <laughs> nice. I love it. I, I feel like I would do the same thing. Just the, the idea of just looking up and be like, that's me. That's right there. That's so cool. Uh, that's, yeah, that's fun. The most surreal moment. And I know we we're going to talk about Wolfenstein was playing Soph in Wolfenstein Youngblood was my first time as like a player character. And I, the first time I was playing the game, I actually went to QuakeCon and I was playing it for charity. We were raising money for, uh, uh, oh shoot, I don't want to mess up the name. It's like Dallas Pets Alive or Pets Alive Dallas. It was a, a charity for animals. And so I was playing it uh, on a stream. I, I used to stream on Twitch a lot. And I, I asked out loud, like, oh, which way do I go? And having my own voice answer back, like, because I think enough time had passed in the game where I triggered a response because I hadn't moved, and it was like, I think we got to go this way, sis. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks, me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so much fun. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's, okay, so tell me about Wolfenstein, not not just Youngblood, because that, that came secondary to your first Wolfenstein experience. Is that correct? Did I remember that right? Uh, yes, but they're totally unrelated. I still auditioned for Youngblood, too. Um, but, yes, I worked on uh, the second Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. That was awesome. That one, I will say, I did just get offered to be a part of it because it was they were some smaller characters. And I had worked with the director before, Tom Keegan, who is one of my favorite people in the industry. Um, he was the director for Dead Rising 3 and Battlefield and Wolfenstein. So I've worked with him a bunch, and I love him. Um, and usually I do still have to audition for everything I do with him. Um, that's just the name of the game. But with this, it was these just small bit characters. And he was like, I think you'd be really right for this. I already know you can mocap. Like, would you be interested? And I'm like, a hundred percent. Yes. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Um, so with Wolfenstein two, I played characters that are on the very wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. And the one of them was crazy because this was the first time I had a character that they actually had look like me so it was my face in the game which is crazy and it watching it back it's so trippy because it really it's me but there's like that slight I don't want to say uncanny valley but there's that slight like it's not human because it's a video game character but it's my face so it was just it was trippy for sure to see it the first time but it was so fun being on that set and I was only there for a few days because again it was just two smaller characters I played a character named Minnie Smith and I'm just having a conversation. If you're walking around listening to people talking on the street, you can listen to my conversation with my aunt. Um, and then I play a script supervisor, 
uh, on a talk show and I'm in the back room and we all get held up at gunpoint by uh, BJ and the team. So it is funny knowing I played those characters and then getting to go and be BJ's daughter in the next game <laughs> was right. pretty pretty wild. But totally different voices, totally unconnected, different characters. And again, the the audition process for for Soph was a lot more intense because she was she's a main character. It's her and Jess that you choose to play between. Um, so I I went in for that first audition. And <laughs> I told this story at LA Comic Con. We did a panel, but Tom reached out to me ahead of time and asked if I had boxing experience. And I said, yes, I do, which was a lie. And <laughs> I, as soon as that email happened, I was like, okay, he's going to bring me into audition for something. I didn't know what it was yet. And I put myself in a boxing class. So I got a trainer and I started learning how to box because I was like, I want to look like I know what I'm doing when I go into the audition. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did because I did have to like fake box this I mean there wasn't actually anything there but it was supposed to be like a sandbag that I'm boxing and I knew how to throw a punch then because I had just learned so no one knew (laughs) and I didn't tell Tom until that LA comic-con panel and he was like what (laughs) that's awkward and awesome at the same time you got to do what you got to do to get the job sometimes man even if it's a little white lie like that where you can like I don't recommend lying about things that can get you seriously hurt but I also knew I was going to have a stunt double for the really intense fight sequences um and I was like I just need to say yes and and fake it till I make it and I learned how to do it and it all worked out but so Sophie's a boxer she's she's a really fun character um but the first round of audition she was a lot more serious and then when they brought me back for the callback, they actually added in that they wanted me to have a signature laugh as Soph. And they really wanted something that was like a female version-ish of Seth Rogen's laugh was the prototype. So <laughs> that's where my like <laughs> came from. <laughs> um, but it was just so cool. So I had the callback. And then a few weeks later, I got the call that I was going to Sweden to film it, which was a freaking dream. Um, we filmed that game. It was their first time filming the games in Sweden because it all had it, the previous games had been filmed out in, in California and we became a family. I was out there. It was a, because, uh, young blood is kind of a, at least how it's been explained to me. It's funny when you're an actor, you don't get all the information at all, but how it's been explained to me is it was a shorter game than the usual games. Cause it was more akin to new blood, which was like an interim kind of project, I guess. So because it was a shorter game, we were only in Sweden filming for about two weeks, um, but then we were in the booth recording in-game stuff. So when you film uh, motion capture, you're filming just the cutscenes, not the actual gameplay itself. Mm-hmm. So all the gameplay is either computer animated or they probably did have some of the stunt team at least modeling some of the movements um, because they're trained in how to actually hold guns that I do not know how to hold. Um but uh, so we were in and out of the studio for about a year after that, recording in-game dialogue, um, doing some ADR pickups, which is basically the dialogue either wasn't captured clear enough or there was a sound or whatever. So we'd have to match the lips to uh, fix the dialogue. Um, and then a lot of, like I was saying, the efforts and the screams and the whispers and the commands and battle and all of that stuff. So all in all, we we worked on this game for about a, a year, uh, maybe a little more than a year. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that that's again sort of answers my next question as well because I'm I'm you know I look at your resume and I'm seeing you know Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War for additional voices, then something like Paladins where you're doing uh, you know, a very specific thing, and then you have Wolfenstein Youngblood where you're doing you know a year's worth of filming, uh, and then all the while in between some of that you're playing a super iconic character like Princess Leia for a Star Wars franchise. Is it difficult to go between all these different types of voice voice acting do you enjoy one particular type more than another a character prep more than another no i love it all i know that's such like a miss america answer but i honestly i love voiceover it's my obsession as well as my job i don't know what i would be doing with my life right now if i wasn't doing this like it it brings me so much joy and getting to switch between characters is one of the things that i love about it so much that i can play uh, yes, Princess Leia, which is a dream, or I can voice a little boy or a pirate or I, I just the range or not the range, but the possibilities are endless as long as they are within my range. Um, I'm definitely not going to be voicing Optimus Prime anytime soon. That's out of my range. <laughs> but I know I, I'm grateful for the fact. And again, it's a lot of training, too, that I do have a pretty broad range and I can play babies crying to elderly women like so being able to stretch those muscles and play like it just it on top of work, it really is play. It's so much of your imagination. I love I love getting to switch between, like I was saying, preschool shows and gritty games and everything in between. It's just so much fun. I love hearing that because in prepping for the interview, as I looked through all the various projects you, you have publicly worked on, they cross so many commercials, live action, voice acting, and then voice acting with within all of those different uh, spaces. And it sounds to me like you just genuinely love that world of performance. Yeah, I do. I do. There isn't like a favorite at all. Uh, I love creating characters, but yeah, it, even commercial work is so much fun. I love getting to, because <laughs> usually then it is you're using your real voice and it's like you're talking to a friend and that's so much fun. I also do uh, looping and ADR, which is where I bring uh, background actors to life in scenes and movies and television shows. So I get to work on really cool projects and see things before it's it's done, which is always fun to see, like when things aren't fully uh, rendered and it's CGI and whatnot. But uh, I yeah, there isn't an aspect of voiceover that I don't love. It's just it's it, it is my love. <laughs> So an unfair question, is there a performance that you look back on and wish you had done differently? Um, probably. Honestly, more in the on-camera world than the voiceover world. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I guarantee there's been a time in my life where I've watched something and been like, oh, shoot, I should have done this better. But I'm also the kind of person where I really don't live in the past. I try not to. I do in, like, reminiscing and nostalgia. Like, I love thinking about fun times and my childhood and teen years, whatever. But when it comes to work, it's like, all right, that project's done. I'm not going to sit and, and worry about, like, I could have done this or X, Y, Z. Even when it comes to auditions, I don't like to do that. It's like once it's out and it's done it's done and I'm excited about it and I'm going to play the game or this or that, but I'm not going to harp on any of the negative parts because it's not going to help me anywhere. Of course you can learn from things. And if there's something I, I saw that I did that I w w could think like, Oh, I wish I would have done that rather than sitting there and feeling sad about that. It's just, I know the next time I play a character similar, I might try this other approach that I, that came to me after the fact, but yeah, I try just to always be moving forward and looking ahead. 
That's that's awesome. And and I'd like to get you out of here on time. So my final question for <laughs> for you you can be as as uh, tight-lipped or not. Are there any roles in the voiceover, mocap or on-camera world that you seek to play or that you would would hope to play at some point in your career? I mean, there's it's such a funny question because like yes, but I don't even know what they are yet. They haven't been presented to me yet. It's like I every audition I get, that's then a character that I hope to play. So it's not so much I have my one, I will say, and it's I feel like many girls in the voiceover world that you ask this might have this answer. But like to play a Disney princess one day would be a dream like that would be an absolute Technically, you've dream. done that, though, Shelby. Right. This is true. <laughs> this is true. And when that realization came out, I was like, oh, my gosh. But no, like a singing, adventuring, like, you know, the classic. The classic original Disney princess is for sure a dream of mine, or honestly, a Disney villain would be great, too. Um, that, that That's when I think of, like, a big, broad dream. But otherwise, no, it, it's like I was saying, I get, I, I, I am very lucky that I am auditioning constantly. That's honestly, I'd say 90% of my job is auditioning. And every audition I get, it, that character becomes a dream character, and... I don't look at it as like, I really want to book this because that's not going to help me then. I'm just going to get in my head and feel the pressure. But I look at it when I go into read in my booth at home and record this audition as if this is my character for the time being and I'm performing it and I'm playing and it's almost as if it's the job. And then again, like I said, I send it off and I try not to think about it anymore. So I, I let it go. And if I book it, that's amazing. And then I do get to play that character and it is a dream come true. And if I don't, it wasn't meant to be my character. It's kind of my, ment- my mentality. So, yeah, every character is is a dream character in their own way. That is so brilliant. That is, I, I love hearing that. Uh, Shelby Young, thank you for joining me on the Xbox Expansion Pass today. I appreciate your time. Uh, where would you like people to go or look forward to seeing you? Is there a place that you would direct people to look for you uh, in the social media space or at projects that you uh, enjoy? Yeah, um, I'm big on social media. I, I'm on it way too often. It's an obsession. Uh, my TikTok is at Shelby H. Young. I, that's where I post a lot of, like I was saying, impressions and fun voiceover stuff. Um, Twitter is another one I'm big on. It's, it's uh, Shelby underscore Young. And then Instagram is Shelby H. Young. Instagram I'm on a little less frequently, but uh, I love TikTok and Twitter. Bye.